Hey everyone, I'm Tangia Renee, your host, and I'm tickled silly to bring you season two of That's What She Did, a podcast about women leaders, innovators, and rebels you've probably never heard of. I'm bringing you stories about remarkable warrior women, rabble rousers, fearless truth tellers, empire builders, and so much more. This season, shaking things up a bit and bringing you a new co-host for each episode. That means each week you get to hear directly from a woman of impact and learn all about her badassery that she's creating in the world while we gab about current events or whatever's on our minds. And of course, we'll be highlighting the stories of incredible women from all over the world that will inspire you on your journey. You don't want to miss this because when you bring together lady bosses to talk about other lady bosses and maybe throw in a drink or two, well, anything could happen. Thanks for joining us and don't forget to subscribe to That's What She Did, the podcast. Smooches! Hey friends, just a quick hello, hi, howdy. My name is Mary and I'm the host of the Simplifiers podcast. We interview super smart people all over the planet who can take one topic in business or in life and simplify it. Whether it's clean eating, simplified, money mindset, simplified. Sort my life out, Mary. Yep, we can simplify that as well. Give us a listen. Search for the Simplifiers podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And as always, friends, keep things simple. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of That's What She Did. Just out here, you know, having a good time, talking about incredible women, being inspired, and getting inspiring women on this show. Today, I am super excited to introduce someone who I met recently, almost kind of randomly, the power of social networking, and was super impressed with what she's doing and wanted to talk about it with you today. Plus, she has an amazing story to share with you about another badass woman that you've probably never heard of. So with me today is Stacey Tubman. She is the founder and CEO of Rise Collaborative Workspaces and Rise Society, Inc. out of St. Louis, Missouri. And I'm excited to say that she's bringing her work to Denver now. Welcome, Stacey. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be on your show. And I had so much fun talking. Our meeting, I think, was supposed to be 45 minutes. I think it turned into like a two and a half. It was... It definitely went quite long. Thank you. It was. I'm sorry. Sometimes I, you know, someone pulls my cord and I just don't stop. (laughs) I had a great time and appreciate it. I'm so happy to have you with me today. I really want to talk about, you know, starting off, we're going to talk about Rise Collaborative Workspaces, um, which I'm excited to see happen in Denver because in Denver, there is not well, there's a lot of co-working spaces in Denver for, for those listeners that are here, they know that. There's one space currently that is really geared towards women. Um, and I believe that they are growing, which is wonderful. But there's, I believe that there's room at the table for all of us. <laughs> and there's so many more women entrepreneurs and women just doing things that they need these spaces to be able to collaborate with other women, to just be in a space that feels safe and welcoming and inspiring for them. And so I'm so happy to see another option coming into Denver area, which is such a 
growing city. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. It's amazing how quick you guys are growing and all the incredible things that are happening in your city. Yeah. But before you started Rise Workspaces, you were a teacher. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. It feels like another lifetime ago. I sometimes joke that I graduated high school at 33. <laughs> you go from high school to college to right back into high school. It's <laughs> Life is all about bells and classrooms. Yeah, so I was a high school math teacher for 12 years and I'm a big nerd at heart. <laughs> job and math especially. So I have to admit like, I hated math. Oh my gosh, right? I hear that oh more gosh. times than not. Like it's a rare day that someone's like, oh, I love math. <laughs> when I say that, I hear this massive like cringe or I see, I should say a massive cringe. <laughs> oh. Yeah, but, please don't make me recite the multiplication tables. <laughs> no, I hear you. I think it creates anxiety for a lot of people. And that's like me in writing. You know, writing and language is always difficult. So I get that feeling. I just weirdly think math is beautiful. So I would agree that it's beautiful. It's yeah. just my brain doesn't work that oh, way. <laughs> no, I get that. Everyone's brain's a little bit different. And you know, having a degree in math and being uh I was surrounded by men, right? Very rarely did I have a class where I had girls sitting next to me that looked like me, acted like me. It was basically a bunch of men in my classes. And so having that experience at a very young age, I think really shaped um, my journey. Because while they were great, I had nice people in my classes, it definitely is a different experience when you're different than everyone around you. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's a good point. You know, I looking back, I had one one woman math teacher, math or science teacher, my entire undergrad career. And then well, I think when I got into college, did I have any? No, they were all men. They were all men. They yeah, were all men. every single professor of mine was a, it was a guy and they were great professors, right? Mm -hmm. so they didn't do anything wrong, but it definitely shapes when you're different than everyone. Yeah, it shapes your perceptions. It feels sometimes unwelcoming. I mean, I was a political science major. I remember walking into my first political science class and being like, there is absolutely no one here that looks like me. <laughs> What's right? going on? Totally. But you know, some, I, I often talk to people like, what gave you the courage to do X, Y, or Z? And um, thinking about my own life. So my family is Jewish. Um, I'm not necessarily a practicing Jew, but nonetheless, I grew up Jewish, but I went to a high school where I was like the only kid in the school who was Jewish. Mm -hmm. And so I've always sort of been different my whole life. And in some ways being used to feeling different, I think is somewhat gives me the courage to, to put myself in these crazy situations. While yeah. it wasn't a pleasant experience to go through by any means, I seem to keep seeking out things like that. <laughs> Like eventually creating rise work. Yeah, being a math major, going on and becoming an entrepreneur, raising capital, like all these things that traditionally are male dominated and you're kind of the odd man out in some ways. So I think that's really important. You know, I, this question comes up a lot, I think for me, because, you know, my childhood was kind of unusual in a really great way. And sure. Uh, like culturally it's very diverse and and all of that and um it didn't occur to me until much later in life that 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 me being kind of the oddball out in a lot of situations made me really tough right like, i'm not scared right. <laughs> because right. i did it, it. <laughs> right 
Right. Whereas if the whole, if your whole life you fit in and you were welcome and had a sense of belonging, mm-hmm. it's so much scarier to put yourself out there because it's a new feeling that you haven't experienced. Right. So I, I just think everything sort of has a strength and shadow about it. Right? right. I wouldn't wish that upon people, but I'm so thankful for it. Yeah. Agreed. So, but how do you think that serves you as you decide that you're going to leave teaching, which is a big decision. I mean, yeah. don't become teachers because they want to do other things. They become teachers because they want to teach. Right. Well, but I'm going to pause you there. Like I am, so I became a teacher because I want to change the world. Yeah. <laughs> like I was that corny person sobbing at teacher movies, like stand and deliver. <laughs> Um, God, what's the Freedom Writers? Whatever those movies were, it's like it just tugs in your heartstrings. So, the desire to change the world hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. I thought the way in which I would do it is in a classroom setting. Um, for me, I didn't feel like I was able to make the impact I wanted to make in that setting teaching math. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure I impacted some people's life, but not on this large, grand scale of like, I really want to change the, you know, whatever. Anywho, um, Life has a funny way of t- putting you on different courses, right? right. Um, I have my degree. I got my master's in administration because I thought I wanted to be a principal. I did, no, thank you. So then I got my master's in school counseling, and that one didn't work either. And imagine being 33, floundering, feeling like I want to change the world, but yet I'm not. <laughs> and then tragedy happens. Uh, a young woman at my school on July 4th, 2012, hung herself. Oh, wow. At her best friend's party. And she's going into her senior year and has all the things that we wrongly assume insulates kids from trauma. It doesn't. Depression's complicated. Suicide's complicated. But you forget that sometimes, you know? And it takes this jarring experience to make you really think about what's important and how are we serving these kids in the way we need to. And yeah. all of her friends were going into my, all of her friends were going into their senior year and they were in my classroom. Oh, wow. They have it all, but they were f- really floundering and struggling as you could imagine. And for me, that was the tipping point. Like enough's enough. High school is no fun <laughs> for very few people, right. boys or girls. Um, what can I do to really try to make an impact on these young people's life in a way that I feel capable? Like I know that guys, Boys have a hard time too. I just personally don't feel capable of helping because I've not walked in their shoes. Right. So really making girls my focus and trying to impact their lives. That's amazing. That's, that's terrible that that happens. Um, We, I just recently did a a workshop with some teens and we talked a lot, you know, this thing about suicide and depression and teens came up and they're thinking about it. Oh, they're definitely, it's on their mind. And I think as adults, we have a tendency to tell them your life is so easy. You're 16. Like what could be so bad? And we don't realize that their lives, they're living in this world with us. It's not any easier. (laughs) Well, and think about it. Like I think I tell teens a lot. I think adults go through amnesia of what it was like to be a team. Because as an adult, we're thinking about our mortgage, we're thinking about our jobs, these like really heavy things to us. But as a teen, where you sit at lunch, you know, where you fall in that social hierarchy, what your parents are gonna say, prom dates, like for them, that is like make or break. Yep. Really, and so when we as adults accidentally belittle it, I think it's really challenging for them. 
because to them it's the same as paying their mortgage. I mean, I don't mean that literally. Right. I just mean that level of seriousness. Yeah. The level of this is everything that I have to focus on right now. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I think the key is to give them something. It's really easy to get sucked into the drama of the day in, day out, but when they can see their future and they can aspire to something and they have purpose, all that silly stuff sort of starts to fall wayside. So we're really trying to get them to dream big and, and, and be surrounded by these amazing people. That's why we live by the quote, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. I, I think that is the best quote because that shapes your reality, your aspirations, what you think is possible. So how can we get kids, teens surrounded by the most amazing people out there? Yeah, absolutely. And you said that that, that was the tipping point for you. Yes. So was. what was your decision at that point? <laughs> well, you don't always realize in that exact moment on that July 4th incident mm -hmm. that that's how it was going to play out, right? But in looking back, that was really that tipping point. Um, so that happened on July 4th. Uh, late July, I met a gentleman who started a company at 26. And at 31, his company had ridiculous amounts of revenue. We're talking mm -hmm. in the high, high, high millions. Um, and I had never met anyone like that. I grew up very lower middle class. So millionaires, who are they, right? No, right. Alone, <laughs> someone who started a company. And it was like this huge aha moment of, wait a minute, you're no smarter than me, right? Like you're not that different from me. And actually, weirdly, I'm smarter than you. And I don't mean <laughs> in an arrogant way, but like I always assume those people mm -hmm. are unattainable or, or just so different from me, right? And so that happened, and that sort of got me on this path. Well, if he can start a company, I can start a company. And high school sucks, and how do I solve their problems? So it was, it was this evolution. And then, of course, I watched Sheryl Sandberg's TED Talk, which I know different people have different feelings on her and that TED Talk. But for me, it was really like, ah, yes. Um, and then I also watched Brene Brown's TED Talk, which I'm obsessed with. If you haven't seen it, so it was just these like one thing after another that sort of put me on this path. Sure. I also read a $100 startup. If you haven't heard of it, it's a great book that I was like, oh, I can do a company for a hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I know that one. It's a good one. It is. And I weirdly, I tweeted at him and he tweeted back and then I messaged him and he messaged back. I mean, people in the entrepreneur community, which I knew nothing of, are crazy, friendly, and helpful. Yep. <laughs> okay. And you're yeah. like, Wow, I like this world. And so just, like just putting one foot in the front of the other, and eventually here we are. I never planned to be here, but so how exactly did all of that? How did that path lead you to this idea that became Rise Workspaces? <laughs> yeah, so my first company started officially in January 2013. It's a tutoring coaching company for high school girls. So the tragedy happened in July. I start the school year. I'm surrounded by high school girls. I try to create something for them in January mm -hmm. while teaching. I have success out of the gate. And so much so that I decided I can leave teaching and pursue this. Luckily, the school held my job for a full year. Oh, wow. Okay. That's big. Big. <laughs> yeah. Don't get me wrong. They didn't pay me, but sure. they said after a year, you know, if this isn't a go, come on back. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So I was very fortunate to have that, right? Um, and so, yeah, at the end of that school year, I was like, I'm gonna get so much done. I got a lot accomplished while working part-time. Imagine what's gonna happen when I can focus on this tutoring coaching company. Right, what actually happened? <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> 
I hit a massive brick wall and fell completely flat on my face. You would have thought I was a trust fund kid. And I can tell you, I am not. I do not have that kind of, you know. My salary was going to die in August for my school year. And I was doing a lot of Netflix thing, which I've now turned it into a verb. <laughs> Me and that couch and that Netflix became good friends because I was terrified. And all that freedom and all that lack of structure. I mean, imagine if your life was based on bells. When you eat, when you start your day, when you leave. And I took for granted how much my classroom and my peers were why I was successful out of the gate. Mm -hmm. And while they weren't, while it was a classroom and not an office, and while they weren't part of my company, just having someone to have like a moment with and be like, what the heck should I do? Or I'm struggling on this. What are your thoughts? That was game changing for me. And so I started interviewing smart, strong, successful women because I thought if I want to help a high school girl achieve their dreams, I know how to become a high school teacher. How do I help her become, you know, whatever she so chooses? Mm -hmm. And it, let's be honest, it was an avoidance tactic. <laughs> you can't, <laughs> as avoidance tactics go, and I know all about this <laughs> <laughs> personally and intimately, um, that's a pretty good one. <laughs> yes, it is. But I've had business coaches that were like, really? <laughs> because the first year I had coffee, I interviewed or had coffee with 300 women. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was a little excessive. It was. That's <laughs> why I called it an avoidance tactic because, but it, I was like loving it, right? Like sitting down with these incredible women and saying like, tell me your story. How did you become this? What gave you the courage? Um, who helped you like a lot of like what you're doing in some ways and it was interesting after 300 of them mm -hmm. You start to see themes, right? Right. Um, they too were passionate about giving back to the next generation like I am They were sick of coffee shops <laughs> Yeah, me too Right. It's like who watches your laptop when you go to the bathroom? Do you, do you weirdly like take your laptop into the bathroom with you? Do you ask the stranger that I don't know why they're any safer than me? <laughs> like, this, by the way, is the thought that every entrepreneur that doesn't have an office outside of their home ha has to figure out. And totally. I've kind of mastered the art of running really quickly and like being back in 60 seconds. <laughs> And I'm like the naive fool that's like, whatever, there's a lot of people around. They're not going to take my laptop. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, it is what it is, right? So, so yeah, wanting to give back, sick of coffee shops, and really craving the opportunity to collaborate with like-minded women. Mm -hmm. You know, and, not and I'll be honest, those 300 women were not all entrepreneurs. They were corporate. I mean, they all had very different, interesting paths. Because again, keep in mind, my goal is to help young women achieve whatever their dream is. Right. So I wasn't tapping necessarily into the startup world. I am not necessarily this most tapped into the startup world. Um, so anyways, after those 300 women, I was like, you know what? I need a place for my first company. These are really incredible women. I want to spend more time with them. <laughs> <laughs> Weirdly, let's start a second company to solve my first company's problem. Mm -hmm. Hence, the idea of Rice Collaborative was born. So that was at the end of December 2014. It was before that it was like this big trend. There was only like a couple open, Hera Hub and a few others, um, and just set on this path. And it took me a really long time, but we opened in January 2017. 
Wow, you've made really quick progress. It's funny you say that because I just said that out loud, January 2017, and I'm thinking, that sounds like forever. I <laughs> that was not that long ago. <laughs> yeah, but the idea started in December 2014. So for it to take me from December 2014 to January, I'm like, oh. But I'm learning that there are no unrealistic goals, just unrealistic timelines. Someone told me that, and I'm like, yeah. I'm the queen of unrealistic timelines. Oh, me too. <laughs> I get you 100%. Yeah. So through this growth process of, of Rise Collaborative Workspaces and kind of taking those coffee shop conversations and bringing them into an actual business, yeah. what do you think at, at this particular stage you've learned from these women? <laughs> How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> A little bit. Yeah, little. I'm like, where angle do I go? You know... I think just from the coffee shop, just from the, the meetings themselves. So I was the girl that felt like, as a teacher, I felt like I had to be very buttoned up. You know, I didn't want, I had armor. I wanted to show that I had it together. I knew what I was doing. So I didn't ask for a lot of help. And I like carried myself in such a way that was really off-putting. And for being honest, people thought I was a big old, can I cuss on this web, on this podcast? Absolutely. <laughs> I thought I was a big old We're grown-ups here. <laughs> I know, but I was a teacher, so I got to ask. <laughs> you know, my peers sometimes thought I was a big old bitch. And when I would hear that, it would be heartbreaking um, because I'm like, what? I'm like the most sensitive softie around. But because of the way I was carrying myself and the lack of vulnerability, it's, it's hard to get to know someone like that, right? Whereas becoming an entrepreneur and talking to these strangers and learning to connect with, you know, learning to connect and admitting I don't have a clue what it takes to start a company. Zero. I have no business background. Oh, I take that back. I took one class called Business 123 at Mizzou, <laughs> how to balance a checkbook essentially, and I was terrible <laughs> at that. Right? So like, I had to ask for help and I had to um, lean on these women. I am a success today because of all the support. I learned it off the backs of every other woman out there and I wouldn't be here without them. So I learned how to ask for help. And admit, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. Yeah, and putting yourself out there. Totally. Right? Yeah. I think that's the hard part. I think that's what I've struggled with. I see a lot of women struggling with that, not just in business, but just in whatever yeah. area of their life, just having to get out of whatever little identity you've created yourself and say, oh, hey, I'm over here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> <Nice. laughs> And that's why, if you guys have not heard of that uh, Brene Brown, her TED Talks, that's why it was so life-changing for me. Her, the best book I love is called The Gifts of Imperfection. Just really learning and owning that your imperfections, you know, that's mm -hmm. not a bad thing. It's a great thing. Yes. It's, and they're, it's a great book. I like Daring Greatly yeah. um, by Brene Brown. That's one of my favorites. I have that one on audio. Oh, nice. Um, so <laughs> I recommend it. It's I'm pretty... Yeah, I'm speaking to another Brene Brown lover. All right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so now you've grown. You're coming to Denver now, we think, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost a done deal, right? <laughs> One way or another, we're coming to Denver. Yeah. So for context for that, we opened officially. We had a grand opening in St. Louis in February 2017. We're now up to 250 members. Um, so we're, we're killing it in St. Louis. And so... It, <laughs> And so we're ready to expand and Denver's the first market we're expanding to. And I'll be honest, there's days where I'm like, what am I doing so hard? New market, no one knows me, I can't do it. And, and then I'll talk to one of my members and she'll tell me, 
this is how rise has made an impact in my life. Or I met this woman and we're now collaborating and my business has grown so much from it. It's those mm-hmm. moments when I know that we're making, again, changing the world. Make, I know that sounds so over the top, but it's, I get motivated by knowing I've made an impact on someone's life and getting to see how we have impacted our, our members' lives is, is unbelievable. And they're not all entrepreneurs. You were saying earlier, co-working. We've stopped using the term co-working because here's what I found. I mean, from a business model, right. we are in the working space. So don't get me wrong. That is our business. Mm-hmm. But our market of those 250 women, I bet most of them either have never heard that term or if they heard the term, they assumed startup. Mm-hmm. And our women are not startup. Right. I mean, we have maybe one or two, if that, that would be true startup. Um, but it's an older, more established uh, community of those 200, as, well, I took that back, as young as 24, as old as 78. Wow. And the bulk of them probably fall between 33 and 55. Mm-hmm. So not your traditional group of people you would think of in a co-working space. Yeah, I, that makes sense. I mean, I guess I don't personally associate the word co-working with startup specifically. Uh, I'm I more associated directly to an entrepreneur of some kind, whether it be like a side hustle or somebody building building a startup, maybe. Yeah. Um, but now that you say that, I get why you would go well wait <laughs> and actually if, if you polled our members as 250 members i would be curious how many would self-identify as an entrepreneur mm-hmm. that word i can remember going from teacher to businesswoman that word i was like i'm not an entrepreneur you know it just <laughs> it was very intimidating to me and i would say a lot of our women would say they're small business owners mm-hmm. some of them are corporate some of them are in medical Um, Because keep in mind, the the thing that draws everyone in is this teen side. At the end of the day, everything I'm doing is to inspire and to impact young women's lives. Mm -hmm. So all of this hard work is to launch, which took me a long time, a mentor program connecting high school girls to our community. So I want any high school girl to be able to come to our community and say, I would love a mentor in X. Mm -hmm. And while I think entrepreneurship's amazing, not every young woman's going to say, I want to be an entrepreneur. They probably don't even know that word. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that's if, true. <laughs> if a young woman says to me, I want to be a doctor, I'm so excited that I can connect her to a woman in our community who's a cardiologist, mm-hmm. which you wouldn't necessarily think of in a co-working space. No, you're right. You wouldn't necessarily think of that, but there's lots of opportunities that a woman who is a cardiologist might need a space. Well, that I will push back a little bit. I would say people don't join our our space, I hate that, <laughs> for the space. That's mm-hmm. the, it's been the huge learning curve for me. So the 250 members, 120 of them are what I would call, what we call social members. And it's because we put on weekly social events that help you grow personally and professionally, not just for entrepreneurs. Right. Um, it gets them access to our mentor program, our back end, like blah, 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 all these things. But really it has little to do with the actual physical space. Mm-hmm. Now that makes perfect sense. It's why I use co-working spaces. I totally. Mean, it's I like have you, a house. Right. <laughs> I can work here. It's fine. Right. <laughs> it's but it gets old sometimes, it right? Does. There's something to be said right. about what we talk a lot about when well, this is going to date me a little bit, but it talk, we talk a lot about cheers, that cheers effect, walking in and everyone knowing your name. Mm-hmm. 
you know, my job when I'm here at Rise is to play hostess. Like, hi, Sally, this is Jane. Do you know Jane? What, you know, like to be the awkward introductor, you know, the person that introduces people to each other so they can start collaborating versus yeah, the connector. Right. If I were to go into a co-working space, I would just sit next to a stranger and never say anything because I'm actually quite shy. Mm -hmm. So making sure that if we have member like that, that we are forcing, forcing is the wrong term, but forcing interaction. <laughs> Encouraging. Thank you, thank you. Setting the stage. Creating. <laughs> creating. Yes, creating. Exactly. I think that's really important. I think yeah. especially for women, because I feel like when I left like my big girl jobs yeah. and decided to do my own thing like you, I didn't embrace the word entrepreneur, right. um, especially because the language around it was so masculine and it was like, well, you're not an entrepreneur unless you have X, Y, and Z. And I was like, well, I don't got all of that. <laughs> like, I got a laptop and some clients. And like, <laughs> so I guess I'm not an entrepreneur, <laughs> but then you know, all of the, the trying to get out and make connections was yeah. just really all that was offered was there's this like networking thing over here and this networking thing over there. And we're going to pass cards yes. and super transactional and weird. And I would be like, I don't even know how, I don't know how to follow up with these people because I don't understand why we would connect. And there wow. was no real relationship there. And then co-working spaces started to happen, which yeah. was interesting and so I checked them out. And in the beginning, they were very, very masculine. They were very like, I was immediately turned off because the, some of them even had this almost frat guy bro culture to them. I call it brotastic. They're yes. super brotastic. Yes. And I, I could not even like, I walked into one here in Denver and there was a bunch of guys in like t-shirts and jeans and they were playing ping pong and the other guys were playing Guitar Hero in this room. And I was like, did I just walk into a frat house because I yeah, hated yeah. them when I was in college? Yeah. And I like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> right? Totally. That was my experience too. Like, <laughs> I like the idea of this, but I feel so uncomfortable right now. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Totally. And you know what's interesting about our, our space and our members? A lot of women who are drawn to us, are, including myself, are women that you would tell you, I was the girl that always was friends with guys, not girls, mm -hmm. and that I would actually weirdly be more comfortable in a room full of men than a room full of women. Because in the past, I'm recovering, right? Like that's not me anymore. But in the past, when I would walk into a room full of women, I would feel like everyone's being super judgy, mm -hmm. and I would be uncomfortable. Like, you know, are they going to judge me for my outfit? Whatever, all that silly mess. And so weirdly, we draw a lot of women like that. They're they're like, I used to be friends with all dudes. But in this space, when I walk in, everyone's super warm and friendly, and I don't have to worry about, you know, what I have on, what I look like. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember some of them are in workout clothes, some of them are in dresses, some of them are in, like, jeans. It's like, you do you, right? right. It's a place where you authentically can be you, and nobody, everyone's busy trying to be really successful, so they're not worried about what you got on or who, you know, that right. silly stuff that kind of sometimes can get in the way. Yeah, and I, I identify with that so clearly as well because mm -hmm. most of my friends were dudes. And right? so, but, so it was weird, right? Like I would walk into the space and it was all dudes and I was immediately turned off by that. Right? And, I, and I thought I should like it, right? But yeah. I didn't. <laughs> and I, I was like, I don't, I'm like maybe there's just something wrong with me. Like I just can't find a place where I seem to fit as usual. 
And so because they're designed by men for men, right? right. And while in the past we may have been more comfortable being around men because they were a little bit more, for me, it was like more predictable. Like I know how you're going to behave. Like Mm -hmm. you're not worried about some of the things anyway. But when you design a space, like for me, natural light's really important. Mm -hmm. You know, a warmth about the environment, a place where you feel like you can let your guard down is really important. And so just, and a little level of professional polish. Look, I'm, I'm trying to be really successful in my business. And there's a certain level of polish that I need to have to impress my clients. Right. right. So a kegerator and a ping pong table doesn't quite send the same message no. as no. a super beautiful professional space. So it's really, you know, it's designed selfishly for me. Right. <laughs> and by <No>. me, <laughs> other women's needs. No, I think you're tapping into something there that it's definitely needed. I mean, if it wasn't, you wouldn't have 250 or however many members. Yeah. There wouldn't be this opportunity to expand and there wouldn't be like, oh, there's a, there's another space coming for women where we can collaborate and like work together and meet. Yeah. And, and it's, it's so necessary. So, um, just happy to see you being successful and growing and, um, hopefully you will be able to start building that foundation here in Denver soon. Well, officially start. I, I know you're working on it. Yeah. <laughs> I've been coming down since February, having back-to-back coffees and just repeating what I had done back in the day. Just well, start. if the process works. Hey, why not? <laughs> and it's fun. I get to meet people like you and chat about life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Cece, I know that you have someone um, that you personally want to discuss today, a woman of impact that you want to bring to our listeners. Yeah. And so please tell us who your woman is and tell us what she did. Yes. Um, so Mary Jo Gorman is a woman that I would not be here today if it wasn't for her. You know, I'd mentioned that I learned all I need to learn off the backs of other women. Well, she is one of those women. And then some back in December of 2014, when I came up with this idea, right, of solving my problem of having a home, I got coffee with her. She's just a very highly esteemed woman in St. Louis. I don't know how I got coffee with her. I thought I'd have half an hour of her time. I was so nervous to show up in front of her because I knew she was smart in business. She has her MBA. And she is an ICU doctor. Mm. So I was thinking, oh my gosh, she's going to ask me questions. I, I don't know business. I, how do I hold my own? I brought someone with me to deflect in case she asked me a tough question. She sat there for two hours, listened to what I had to say about my idea, said, I think you're on to something. And if you don't waste my time, I will mentor you once a month for two hours. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. Right? And just for context, context, let's back up. So I know she started and sold several companies, but the one that I know the most about is it called Advanced ICU. It's a tele-ICU company where, you know, she lived in St. Louis and was an ICU doctor. And I'm sure I'm screwing up details. So I apologize, Mary Jo, if I get it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) My understanding is, you know, cities like Jeff City, which is a small town in Missouri, would be short on ICU doctors. And so how can St. Louis doctors support doctors in Jeff City, but not have to be there. Uh And so it's a tele-ICU company. She didn't create the technology. Technology already existed, but she really put the pieces together to make it happen. And it's a very successful company. I believe it's still in existence, but she has moved on to other things. Mm -hmm. And she actually is one of the, um, I don't know if she's a founding member, but I know she's on the board for what has now been called become called Brazen, which has recently come to Denver. Yes. in St. Louis as Prosper, mm-hmm. recently rebranded to Brazen, and now I believe they're in five cities globally. Again, I apologize if I screwed up, but Brazen's an amazing organization that really cares and champions women entrepreneurs. 
and she sits on the board of it and you know she puts money where her mouth is she gave up two hours of her busy time for almost a year every month how valuable was that to you right oh <laughs> you know not only the information i mean she is a straight shooter smart woman but think about it by her saying look like don't waste my time i'm out of here if you do i would show up every time terrified that she would cut me so to speak mm -hmm. you know um, and some of her homework was hard, right? There are things I didn't know how to do. Me and the census became very good friends and I went zip code by zip code. There are things that you naturally would maybe end up not doing that I, I had to do because I didn't want to let her down. So that accountability was huge. Mm -hmm. Being able to have a name like Mary Jo Gorman in my corner. Do you know how many people in St. Louis were more willing to talk to me because she was my mentor? Yeah. So there was a lot of levels to her support beyond just her time. And truly, I would not be here today without her. Yeah, and I think it's also a testament to why things like collaborative workspaces like RISE or an organization like Brazen, um, yeah. or even there's a new one coming to Denver now called Crew. Oh, cool. Um, why these things are so important yeah. is because of the level of mentorship that comes with them. and. Like I have degrees too, like, you know, that stuff is great, but I it grew so much more and so much more quickly when another woman, and sometimes, I mean, I, I've had a couple of really great male mentors that were just willing to be like, here's what I know. And here's like what I see you doing that you need to stop doing. And here's what, where you should actually spend your time. And that kind of very focused, like get your act together right now, girl, just <laughs> exponentially yeah. grows you in ways that you never imagined. Absolutely. And going back to that collaborative, like all these different organizations, how powerful they are. You're not wrong. I mean, that, that's so true. There's a lot of research to show that social capital, you know, this access to different people is one of the biggest predictors to success. But that same research shows that women have access to less than different social capital. And I'm sure minorities even more so, right? And so how can we make social capital, these connections at people's fingertips that I can walk in? Like, I remember when I started, it was like, I need a marketing person. Who do I call? I need an accountant. Who do I call? Where do I even begin? Right. So I love that we had this backend portal that makes social capital so accessible. It's like, all the different areas of interest click accounting here are our accountants social media help here you know and just knowing that at your fingertips you have the support you need and you don't have to just you know paralyze out of what the heck do i do yeah absolutely it's so important and so for anybody listening to this it like it feels really intimidating i think to put yourself out there and try to get that kind of help and look for a mentor whether it be like a formal situation that you're paying for or someone like uh, Mary J. Gorman that just was like, I think you're onto something and I'm willing to give you my time and, yeah. and showing up for that. It requires yeah. you to be able to get out of that comfort zone and decide to show up for yourself at a whole new level. Totally. So do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to it. So thank you for sharing with us about your mentor and advance ICU. Yeah, that's what she did. That's pretty <laughs> cool. She created these amazing companies and is yeah. doing other impactful things in the world. And if anybody wants to learn about Mary J, is there a way on, is she on social? You know, I see her on Twitter. Um, I know she's on the, I think she's on the board of directors for Brazen. Okay. Uh, I don't think she's on Facebook or Instagram. <laughs> Everybody isn't. It's fine. 
you yeah. probably go to the to the website of Brazen and look at who their board um, is. Absolutely, Mary Jo Gorman. You can find her. I mean, <laughs> I, I was googling her at one point. I think she was recognized in Forbes magazine. I mean, she's like legit. Okay, so Google Mary Jo Gorman. She'll probably come up, and you can learn more about and her that thing. way. This is the weird thing. In St. Louis, there are two Mary Jo Gormans, and they're yeah. both badass women. <laughs> I will forewarn you. This is the one that has her MBA and her uh, MD. So the doctor. She's a doctor. She's a doctor and a businesswoman. Yeah. Got it. And Stacy, how can people connect with you and learn more about you? Yeah, great. Um, first of all, I come to Denver on a regular basis. I'm actually basically moving there and I'm all about <laughs> grabbing coffee. So if anyone's in Denver and wants to grab coffee, I would love that. Um, you can go to our website, riseworkspace.com to learn more, or we are all over social, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I love me some LinkedIn. I'll be honest. Me too. I have had the most, when people, I'll say, how'd you hear about us? It's Instagram and LinkedIn. So I am a big LinkedIn fan. Yeah. Me too. So head over to LinkedIn to learn more about Stacy, or go to the Rise Collaborative Workspaces website and definitely learn more about that. And, you know, hey, reach out. Maybe you can convince Stacy to come to your city. Yes, we, we're going to start expanding quickly. So get on our list. <laughs> good, good. Thank you so much, Stacey, for taking some time out of that busy schedule to spend Absolutely. some time with us. Listeners, again, this is another episode of That's What She Did. You know what you're supposed to do right now, but I'm going to remind you. Go over to iTunes, open that puppy up, leave us a five-star review, and let us know your thoughts. As usual, you can always email me at that's what she did podcast at gmail.com if there is a woman you want to see on this show or a story you think needs to be told. We're always down for that and follow us on social. I have finally gotten around with a lot of nudging and a lot of complaining to finally getting this podcast on social. So we're in all the places. <laughs> on the Instagram and on the Twitter yeah. and yeah. on the Facebook. Right? on the LinkedIn. So go there, hit me up. You know that you can reach out to me. And that's what she did, you guys. Another great story, another great day. Have a good one.